0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. Cryptocurrencies are on the rise. With the advances in blockchain technology and many other technologies, we are on the doorstep of a whole new digital world where there would be likely no traditional banks, no traditional traders, brokers, or any other middleman involved when we are dealing with money. The rapid advances in cryptocurrencies are bringing complex, chaotic, and challenging time for each nation, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short, referred to as NGIOA. Now, as cryptocurrencies are getting deeply embedded across the global financial system, its crowded interconnections within and across NGIOA are catching nations off guard. Each cryptocurrency connection and its interconnectedness and interdependencies within and across the global financial network, security challenges and risks. So the question is, how do we identify, evaluate and understand these independent and interdependent cryptocurrency risks that will likely impact each one of us, each individual and entity across NGIOA? How do we manage these risks? In addition, these interconnections and interdependencies raises an important question on whether our current currency risk management framework, tools, technologies, standards, guidelines, and processes are effective in managing the security risk brought on by cryptocurrencies within and across nation's geographical boundaries. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Philip Raymond from CRIPSA. Philip is the co-chair of CRIPSA, a cryptocurrency standards association based in the United States. Welcome, Philip. We are delighted to have you on this ground up.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Jayshree.
0: Wonderful, Philip. So, Philip, do we understand the complexity of cryptocurrencies and its interconnections?
1: When you say, do we understand, do you mean, does the, is the public accepting it as a as a uh, protected and, and fluid medium, or uh, how do you mean it?
0: I mean, do, have we identified all those? Because cryptocurrencies, we can visualize it as a neural network of a human brain that runs through all the financial components of a nation. And it enables them to connect, communicate, collaborate, and function. And as a result, it gives rise to so many independent and interdependent risks. The fact is that I am concerned that we have not even reached a stage where we have identified each and every risk that could
1: you know, come out, result, because of that. And this I love your metaphor. Comes, you know, say secondary. I love your metaphor to the brain, but let, let, me, let me back up and take a bird's eye view for a second. Let me greatly simplify what the risk is. Currently, every transaction instrument that we use and the ones that, that, uh, that the public's familiar with, the credit cards, the SWIFT system between banks, the ACH or debit system from a, from a checking account, these all have, like you said a moment ago, a, a broker or a middleman. And that broker or middleman doesn't just take fees, They provide a very serious level of comfort and security. Um, Most importantly, a a temporary hold or escrow that allows someone to back out of a deal if they've been lied to or cheated or if they believe that they need recourse. Um, Sometimes it's contractual. It's very, very clear. You buy a piece of real estate, at least in the United States. You have three days to back out of it. So the money doesn't really transfer to anyone. It's held by a bank or a trusted party. But even in a PayPal transaction or a normal credit card transaction, you may think you have access to the money or the vendor may see the access to the money immediately, but the vendor has an ongoing relationship with American Express or Visa, and there's actually a full 60 days where that transaction can be reversed. None of that exists with a uh, person-to-person Bitcoin or cryptocurrency transaction. Now, there's, that's not a necessarily a bad thing. You talk to a lot of libertarians and a lot of people who are driving the Bitcoin revolution, and they'll say that's a good thing. But the problem is, without any guarantee in the middle, Bitcoin is really suitable for only a few limited markets. Obviously, it's suitable for criminals. And crime and vice, not just crime, but vice too, drives a lot of new technologies. It drove the VCR to adoption. It's not a good thing. Uh, for what the crime element is, but it's actually a good thing for new technologies. But Bitcoin is also great for person-to-person transactions where the two people know and trust each other. It's also great for in-person transactions where there's no doubt about the fact that you've already consumed an item. I just recently stopped off at a diner in Darien, Connecticut, There was a little, we accept Bitcoin uh, logo uh, at the cash register. The owner of the diner was the only one present. It was the middle of the night. He didn't even know really what it was or how it worked. But he said, oh yeah, I'll see it on the cash register. Point your camera at that and I'll be paid somehow. And up comes my wallet and it says, your total is $22.95. Would you like to add a tip? And I add a tip and he sees it on his point of sale system. And he never asked me my name. I never verified that it was his wallet. But I saw the QR code. I took a picture of it. He looked satisfied, and I already ate the food. So I walked out happy. He walked out happy, and no one had to pay Visa 2 or 3% fee for this transaction. And I have no recourse, but I don't need recourse in this case. But there is a problem with the wider adoption of Bitcoin, and it's a big problem. To become ubiquitous, to become trusted by business, commerce, government... Uh, You'll hear about a lot of ancillary issues, like government obviously has an interest in knowing, is there a way for us to audit it? Can we collect taxes? None of those things really change. Blockchain isn't really private. There are ways to do those things. But the real question is, if you're a consumer or a big company, you're buying 10 million metric tons of coal and transferring it from Canada to the U.S., how is it that you can be certain that there is recourse if the coal has higher sulfur content than you were promised, or if, the, or if a bunch of rocks come through on the train. Um, I have a friend who made a payment to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst for his daughter's tuition. It was about $15,000. And he saw on the uh, billing papers that he was allowed to pay in Bitcoin. My friend works for PayPal. He's very high tech. He loves this type of stuff. This was a year and a half ago. So he paid the $15,000 with Bitcoin. Six really? months later. That, that,
0: Mar- that, that is really surprising. I was not I aware
1: that universities accept that. University of Massachusetts was one of the first in Amherst. He, he, of Six months later, he gets a notice that um, he paid, but he owes $2,000 because he missed the early, pay, the early bird deadline for the payment. Now, this is kind of interesting because there's no, there's no some certain receipt. It's not tied to an SKU, to a student, or to a, to a certain number of courses that student took. So he got very upset. He, mis- he made the deadline by three or four days. So he called up the bursar's office or the treasurer or whoever you call at universities, and he said, this student is my daughter. And he held up a picture of his of his cell phone, and he said, that's my Bitcoin wallet. You see that? On that date, $15,206. That's me. And they said, well, we trust you. We're going to investigate. A few days later, they found out that uh, the, the university didn't have a formal relationship with Coinbase, or one of the big processors, they were using a grad student. The grad student knew a lot about Bitcoin, and this grad student, a woman who was a senior at the, or a a grad student, was helping the university accept Bitcoin the first time. She allowed it to accrue in a university's Bitcoin account, and then every week she would sweep it over to the university. So it looked like the date was a different date. All the mechanisms weren't really in place now they trusted this individual they figured it out and they gave him his credit back but if there were a real dispute action process there's no one in the middle of it and therefore uh, for payments of this nature a large payment to an institution it's risky to use an item that has no absolutely no relationship to the purchase in a contractual sense that's where we come in that's what we're trying to do we're trying to reestablish a layer not change Bitcoin, and certainly not interfere with private person-to-person payments. You send a payment back to your family in China or Nigeria or, or Bhopal or wherever, That you trust the person. No one has to be involved. For the most part, no one has to know about it. And we're not trying to change the libertarian nature of the coin. We're trying to make it more friendly for those who need recourse and guarantees. And we don't think it will cost what credit card companies charge. We think it will still be next to nothing with those guarantees.
0: Yes, now you, you give such a good background.
1: My audio is getting a little bit warbled here.
0: There is a, you give such a good examples and understanding about what are the challenges that you see based on the real life experiences that you went through. And you read about that you, example you gave about the payment of tuition to the university that is a very advanced I mean I was not aware that this is you know that uh, deeply embedded into so many different layers of the nation and that is that is a good example you gave that what kind of complex challenges you know people could face and there are so many gaps and while cryptocurrencies are less regulated than traditional currencies the problems associated with these currencies are rising rapidly as you just you know mentioned and this is a cause of great concern because there are so many inherent security risks. And with rapid rise in cryptocurrencies as a medium of exchange, each nation is now struggling with how best to develop the standards to regulate them. So you gave some background about the risk that rec- necessary is developing some standards. But what other risk you think that you know other nations could be facing overall because this is basically a financial system that is being developed digital financial system and we do need standards so what you're doing what your organization is doing developing standards is so much needed across nations and uh, there are so many risks and gaps that we see so can you give a a background about what what was the reason that you and your uh, organization decided that there is a need for standards because there are so many
1: risks we are facing our organization actually began with a dispute. My partner is a, a law on order anti-money laundering type of person with a background in banking, and I'm more libertarian. I believe that the biggest risk to Bitcoin and to cryptocurrencies is legislation itself. I don't think that there's much national-level legislation necessary for Bitcoin, other than uh, helping people protect themselves from a lack of information or a lack of standards. But when we couldn't agree on whether we are promoting anonymous and and mixed use of Bitcoin, mixers which make it more anonymous, or whether we're promoting it as a legitimate instrument, we finally decided that the one thing we could agree upon, which which formed our organization, the one thing we could agree upon was that uh, there is a lack of protections and security in a transaction. Uh, My my vision for our first product, which is not yet in development, but we're creating the, the, the framework and the standards, And soliciting from the public what those standards should be. My vision is a completely voluntary adoption of standards by crypto coin wallet companies and most of the wallet companies have told us they're they're signing on, they like the idea. And so when you're holding up your wallet, it could be any of the free wallets or that you have on your phone or it could be your Coinbase or, or Bitstamp wallet. When you're about to make a purchase, for instance, I'm at that restaurant and I'm about to make a purchase from this restaurant, seven or eight little dummy lights on the side, green, red, yellow lights, just just little LED lights almost, just little green dots or red dots tell you, whoops, watch out. This person has not positively identified themselves. They have had the wallet for more than six months. There currently is less than $100 in the wallet. And it gives you this information. Now for the restaurant, every one of those lights could say, warning, he hasn't shared any of that with us, not even his identity. We don't know that you're dealing with who you think you are which I would say, well, that's fine. I'm in person, and I already consumed the food, and he's about to let me walk out of the restaurant. So I don't care. It's not that you need to see green lights on all of these. But if if you're a long-haul trucker, and you're allowed to spend $100 a day on food, your corporation has warned you, it has to be food consumed in your stomach. It can't, if you go to a uh, hard rock cafe, we don't want you buying coffee mugs and baseball caps with this. So he's about to make a purchase for his food at the hard rock cafe. And up comes a bunch of lights that says, uh, by the way, this purchase is directly tied to these SKU numbers, a sausage and cheese sandwich, a coffee, and uh, five baseball caps for your daughter. Well, that that's something that helps both parties because now he can easily differentiate how much money was spent on what someone's compensating or reimbursing him for and how much money is tied to SKU numbers that are personal or irrelevant to the purchase. Those type of things, uh, people will will get angry at us and they'll say, "You're, you're turning Bitcoin into a snitch. No, we're not. We're making it possible for that trucker to use Bitcoin when it was impossible before because his His travel letter of credit and his credit cards could do those things. They could show what he was purchasing. We're just going to make it possible for this transaction instrument. And by the way, personally, I don't see Bitcoin as a transaction instrument. I'm one of the people that believes it's a real currency that's going to displace national currencies someday. But that's a separate argument. It doesn't matter. As a transaction instrument, it is possible. To, to tie it to an SKU number, and to rescission guarantees, and to refund guarantees, and all that arbitration process.
0: That, that's very true, very true. Now, digital currency is used just like traditional billion-coin currency for purchases, as you have been giving great examples on, and also online payments, but it is also considered a commodity, just like silver or gold. And that means it is just as vulnerable to market fluctuations as any other commodity or stock could be. From your experience, how vulnerable are cryptocurrencies and what can be done to manage very wild fluctuations because we have seen over the years how wild fluctuations the Bitcoin went through, you know, from
1: $1 to $1,000, again it crashed. Excellent question. In in November 2013, uh, right on Thanksgiving Day, it actually went up to $1,300 briefly and uh, it, it's been as low as 200 in the last year and a half. So that's a very good question. Um, let me first dispute one assumption you made, and then let me answer your question. Um, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies that are firmly capped or that have a predictive, predictable formula, Bitcoin has a formula, but it is capped at 21 million coins in the year 2140. If you, if you fully discount it now, you know that there will never be more than 21 million coins. It's a math formula and they can never find more than that many. So in my opinion, it's not subject in the long run, once it's fluid, ubiquitous, and well, well adopted, it's not subject to the same fluctuations that pork bellies or the US dollar or frozen orange juice might go through because there is no production swings. There is no per change in, in supply. There's a predictable small change in supply for now because there's only 16, 17 million Bitcoins uncovered out of 21 million. But eventually, we'll be close to 21 million and there will be no changes in supply. So there's only change in demand. Change in demand is a little wild at first, but those are external factors. Change in demand will be more predictable as Bitcoin acquires 2% of the economy's transactions, 3%, 4%, even if it's just international transactions. It will iron out these wild swings. In my opinion, five years from now, if there's a sudden change of 5% between Bitcoin and the US dollar, you'll be less likely to say, what the heck happened to Bitcoin today? Did you see that swing? Instead, you'll say, what's influencing the US dollar today? It went up 10% and down 16% in two hours. It will be a dollar problem. It won't be a Bitcoin problem. In, in essence, you, you, and I fully agree with you that Bitcoin is a commodity. It's interesting though, although I invest in it, although I have Bitcoin set aside that I don't intend to spend because I think someday it will be a higher fraction of the US economy and therefore larger demand, limited supply, it will be worth more. Actually, people who do what I'm doing, people who actually squirrel away Bitcoin as, a, as an equity are actually retarding the day in which Bitcoin will become ubiquitous and will become a currency. I think it will become a currency, when the number of transactions are not used in speculation, but are used in the normal ways we would use cash, when that fraction grows larger than the investors. That would be transactions to settle debts, to transact international payments, to buy your, your milk and your orange juice at the local grocery store, and to pay off a loan. When that starts becoming the main use of Bitcoin, the, the wild fluctuations will stop, the trust in it will go up, and what, what will follow will be really dramatic. For instance, it's subtle, but if, if Dell computers were to print their next catalog with Bitcoin prices, maybe in little, dollar, in little, in little parentheses next to it, it'll show the U.S. dollar or Rupia or Juan or Remenbi for whatever country they're in. But if they printed it in Bitcoin, and they said, this computer is three and a half Bitcoins, which by the way, is $1,260. And if they held that price for the two weeks that that catalog was out there, that's when people would start thinking in terms of Bitcoin. That's when people would start accepting it. The U.S. has never made the transition to kilometers and, and to uh, grams yet because we never see things quoted that way. When things start getting quoted in Bitcoin, I think we'll start making the transition. transition. That's a risk now but it won't be a risk. When those people at Dell make their decision to print their catalog, they won't see it as much of a risk if the fraction of Bitcoin transactions for business and commerce exceed the fraction for speculation. And I think that'll happen sometime in 2018.
0: But the challenge is, Philip, that today there are over thousands of cryptocurrencies. We are not talking only about Bitcoin. Taking Bitcoin's original source code people are developing so many cryptocurrencies all over the world and there are, as we speak, there are so many more that are under development. So what is the strategic approach here? Are we going to have one global cryptocurrency or are we going to have thousands of different cryptocurrencies? Because then we are talking about whole different sets of complex uh, security risks that are arising from that.
1: If if you isolate out the the, uh, strategically um, the fundamentally different cryptocurrencies that were designed for specific purposes like Ethereum uh, or Ripple, if you remove those from, the, from it because they're not trying to be a currency, they're trying to be a contract or something else. Um, you, you do have hundreds, I don't know about thousands, but I know of hundreds. All the altcoins like Feathercoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, if you, if you look at them though personally, and I'm not not a prognosticator, but personally, I believe there will be one. I believe it will be Bitcoin. And I don't have a vested interest in this. Our our organization does not favor Bitcoin. I don't have a horse in this game. But there's several reasons why I believe Bitcoin will emerge as the winner. Um, Even though it has several serious technical challenges right now, there's a forking crisis going on because of the number of transactions. There's a question of how you'll incentivize miners after all the coins are found. But here's why. Um, number one, Bitcoin has achieved what economists call the two-sided network effect. It's sort of like the Adobe Reader and the Adobe Writer. Yes, there are several competitors to Adobe, but they have fallen away very quickly because it, it's not just like the early Betamax VHS war. The war is over now. Everyone has, everyone has chosen uh, CDs as their standard for audio, and then they chose DVDs and finally Blu-ray one over its competitor, which was called, I think, HD DVD or something like that. If you're going to get a rotating disc to play in your home player, it's going to be Blu-ray or it's going to be streaming because there's, there's no one else supporting anything else right now. Bitcoin has achieved that. Other coins come out and say, yes, but we can solve a problem. We can solve the transaction crisis or the malleability crisis. Yes, you can, but guess what? You're not going to get anyone to adopt your coin if it's not open source and public. If you're, and if you're not telling us where the pre-mined coins are. If you are open source and public and completely unlicensed, then Bitcoin is free to steal. I'm using the word steal lightly. I mean to adopt all of your clever inventions. And many people don't realize it, but there have been 31 changes to Bitcoin already where they found something more clever or better or some process and folded it into the core development. That's what Gavin Andresen used to do. So um, Bitcoin has that ability. It can steal. And simply fold in anything that's better. And there's no pride here. We're not, it's not an example of someone trying to trump or do one up. The, the original inventor will always get the credit, but there's no money to be had in being the core developer because it's open source. And if it weren't, no one would trust it. Trusting it more than you trust your government with the printing press because it's completely transparent.
0: Yes, that, that, that is an advantage, that it is completely transparent, but there, there are also, you know, a lot of, uh, there is a lot of fear, because there is no government, or anchor, or anywhere, any institution, global institution, that is backing the cryptocurrencies, and the only foundation that cryptocurrencies have, at this point, is the, you know, timestamp, and people's faith in their value, so... Can I ask you who backs, who backs
1: the value of gold?
0: The governments are don't they back that
1: no the gold backs some governments and very few right now none of the reserve currencies are backed by okay, gold but but who backs the value of a commodity i mean who is it who says that gasoline in america is worth two dollars a gallon it's it's a pure supply i mean there's politics involved with gas because it's produced in certain places where there are oil fields but it's complete supply and demand. If, there are, if, if half the motorists figure out that with Uber they don't need cars, the price of gas will drop because less people are driving. If, if China and India and, and a few other countries emerge as huge consumers of cars, everyone wants to own a car at 16 years old, the price of gas will go up because only so much can be sucked out of the ground at a time. Bitcoin is backed by something much better than a government. Governments come and go. Governments change. I mean, who knows? With, with Obama going out and Trump going in, you don't think the currency markets will be, will be shaken up. But they, who knows? I mean, it, governments come and go. But math doesn't come and go.
0: That's and I know, that
1: it, I know that it sounds like an easy escape for me to say this, but Bitcoin is backed by math. And unless they find a flaw in the math, which is possible, it's still in the experimental stage, but unless they find a flaw in the math, Bitcoin is, is backed by something that is pure demand, not supply, because the supply is known. So it's a pure demand-driven product. I trust that more than I trust any government. And here's something, I'll, I'll put in a little bit of political thought here. Some governments are afraid of Bitcoin. And you saw it initially, China and Italy, uh, even Canada was thinking of legislating, practically legislating it out of existence for their citizens. Uh, a wonderful man by the name of Andreas Antonopoulos went around to each of these governments, New Zealand, Aust- Australia, a uh, wonderful video of him talking to the parliament in Canada, in Ottawa. And he's convinced one government after another, hands off, at least at the beginning, hands off for a few years. Let's see where this goes. Do you really want to give up the next Google to Americans or to some other country, you really want to lose out on all that can be done with this new, phenomenal new thing? It's as important as the internet. Why would you legislate it out of existence? So, because of that way of talking, he sort of has scared these old conservative governments, well, maybe we shouldn't quite take a stance against it yet. America is very different. And America and several other countries, China, of course, are very different. They're looking at it and they're saying, we can't legislate it out of existence because it's peer-to-peer. And we, we, can, we can trace transactions, but we can't stop a transaction. Even if you're in jail, if you have a flashlight and you can signal, you can transmit Bitcoin. It is purely peer-to-peer. So maybe we should start looking at this a little closer. Is it really the big threat we think it is? Or is it possible that it's more of an opportunity than a threat? Now, why is it an opportunity? Because Bitcoin removes from a government their control over their own fiscal and monetary policy. That sounds like a threat at first. But if a government is not in control of its monetary policy, then its money is more pure. It can't print itself out of debt. If it borrows money, the bondholders have to truly believe in their ability to repay that debt. It can't be some mysterious thing where, well, they can use the markets, they can use they can use social upheaval. They can use redistribution. With Bitcoin, you can still tax. You can still enforce taxation. You can still spend. You can still have a wage of war or send a rocket to Mars if you want to. But it's a little bit different because now when you tax, it has to be with the consent of those you govern. It's not as easy to tax without consent. And now with Bitcoin, it, you're not in control. There's no inflation anymore. It's a deflationary economy, something that economists once thought was bad, so many economists still do. But people think deflation, and I'm putting on my economist hat right now, I'm not an economist, but people think deflation's bad because they think that, it, that deflation leads to war, to poverty, to joblessness, to imbalance of trade. No, deflation is, can be a warning sign to those things happening. But if deflation happens by design, I would argue that it's all good. It's, it's, it, does it lead to less spending? Sure, initially people will start saving because that car they want today that costs 50 Bitcoins will cost 40 tomorrow and eventually, at the end of their lives, may co- a new car may cost one Bitcoin. That's simply because more and more people are adopting Bitcoin and you have to slice that 21 million into a smaller and smaller fraction. There's three or $4 trillion in trade every day just to settle each day's, each day's transactions. If you slice 21 million pieces into that many trades, then yes, each piece has to become valuable. But that's not a bad thing. People still need to eat, they still need shelter, they still need to send their kids to college. The consumption will will return eventually.
0: Yes, now that's a fair point now. But there are many critics uh, of Bitcoin that say that there is a liquidity problem involved with Bitcoins, and their worries are from the fact that there is an upper cap to the number of Bitcoins that will ever be present in the market at one time. Do you see a risk because of
1: that? I personally don't, but again, I'm not an economist. I've heard that argument, and I've studied that, and I, as a lay person, I don't really understand the argument that there must be inflation. If there's gonna be inflation, someone's in control of the inflation. If someone's in control, it's not a pure supply-demand product. I don't see the risk to that.
0: Now, there are some reports that South Africa Standard Bank is in the process of implementing a new online Bitcoin exchange, and. That this is very revolutionary because it it moves it moves the shift from users' dependence away from these third-party exchanges that are out there available to a commercial bank that that backs that is backed by investment liquidity and a government. So in a way, it brings the backing that a lot of people are fearful about that there is no backing to the Bitcoin. So this South Africa Standard Bank move. It takes away that fear that you know there is no uh, backing or there is no institution that is backing this or no government or no regulations backing this because if a standard bank is involved in the pro- implementation of this new online Bitcoin exchange, it's a whole different ball game. So if the current banking infrastructure and system backs the cryptocurrency, it would bring much more stability in the cryptocurrency
1: markets globally. Do
0: you do you think so?
1: Do you think that? I don't truly see it as backing the cryptocurrency. I see it as backing the the custodian of the crypto, the custodial process. So who's who's making sure that I don't lose the keys? who's making sure they're not robbed or that they're offline and the hacker can't get to it. Yes. I see that as, as valuable. I don't think banks are going to be thrown out of business because of Bitcoin Um, credit cards. The the obvious purpose of a credit card will be damaged. That business model will be damaged. Uh, Even Visa is talking about using Bitcoin to actually conduct the transaction of money, but, or, or maybe a cryptocurrency. I'm not sure. Bitcoin. But um, I think that all those protections I talked about, like in what CRIPS is trying to do, when you look at your wallet and you see those, those lights to tell you whether you, you have an, a well-known identity, enough money in the wallet and all that, that's a bank that's backing those things up. And there are banks, even New World banks are emerging right now. I know it's not uh, uh, Chase or Lloyd's of London or Chemical Bank, but uh, uh, in America, Coinbase, in, um, uh, in England... Uh, Coinstamp, a uh, Bitstamp, sorry, Bitstamp, uh, which I believe is a Latvian company, but they've reincorporated in in England. Um, these are extremely credible. They've been independently audited. Uh, the audits were very rigorous and thorough, and followed acceptable accounting practices. It's not. We're not looking at another Mount Ga- Mount Gox disaster looming right now. We're looking at very credible, stable banks. Now, uh, is will could there be a problem with hackers and things like that? Yes, there could. Um, I, I, like the, I like the way in which they're trying to protect against that. I mean, you could lose your wallet, too. You could have someone rob a bank, too. Um, with uh, Coinbase, when you go in and look at your account, I wish I had it up on my screen now so that I could flip it and show you, but when you go in and look at your account, let's say you have $25,000 at Coinbase in your wallet, you only keep a small percentage online. You keep maybe 1500 online, which is what you might need for, uh, for expenses this month and the rest you have in what's called your vault. And what your vault means is actually pretty interesting. They physically remove the hard drive from the machine, store it in another building with no internet connection, no wifi, no internet connection, and put it into cold storage with backups in other places. But this, this is very hard to imagine how someone's going to rob that money when all of it is in a building with no internet connection at all. So at least they're taking steps. And then if you need that money, you might have to wait four or five hours because, Physically, someone has to run that drive over and remount it. You can't even remount it in the building it's in because there's no connection.
0: Yes, no, that's that's a good point. But there is also a growing concern about the digital wallets that you were just talking about because even if one has secured their online wallet using a three-way authentication, that means fingerprint or uh, YubiKey or even a very long, you know, password. What is? What if due to any reason, someone just forgets their password or someone just
1: dies? What what happens to those Bitcoins? I I, I bet you know what I'm going to say in response to this. Um, Ultimately, everyone must do something, but it's not going to be as hard as I'm going to make it sound because it will be standard practice. Ultimately, everyone will have a multi-sig wallet. I'm doing that right now. And you can jury rig it together just using PGP, but ultimately it will be standard in every single wallet. And basically a multi-sig wallet says, okay, I have this online wallet or this uh, iPhone or Android wallet. I've got a, I'm starting to get a lot of money in there. I don't want to lose it. I may be in a car accident. I might not remember my password. I may die. So you say, okay, uh, here's seven people younger than me that I trust. You, you decide it yourself. There's seven people I really trust. If if any four of them were to ever get together and combine their passwords, I want them to have unlimited access to my wallet. Unless one of them is my daughter, Sarah. If one's my daughter, Sarah, I only need two of them. Her plus any one of the other seven, I would accept that too. You can define rules like that. It sounds complicated, but it's not. It's very simple cryptographic math. Once you create a multi-sig wallet, you have just decided now that, and you chose seven only because you may not think about this for 40 years and some of, them, some of these people may die before you. So you choose a, a, a good body of people, five to 10 people, preferably younger than you, but they don't have to be younger than you. And you just say, they are my trustees. The same thing is done today. When you die an executor and certain people are allowed to do certain things with your wealth. And these are things that have to be set up through a will and through the government. Here's a way of doing it where no government can stop you from doing it. No one can tell you, well, we don't think those people should be in charge. We'd like to know how much money's in there or when, it, when this is gonna be done. None of that applies anymore. You're deciding who your tr- custodial trustees are, who your uh, executors, as it applies to that wealth are, and you're in complete control of the fraction of people or the, or the collaboration of people that are necessary. And it may sound like a tough decision. How, three out of seven people, four out of seven, how do I decide? That will all be figured out and it will, there will be defaults. It'll be very, very easy to decide. If they're related to you and older, like your grandma, that doesn't count too much because she's likely to die before you. So it figures all that out based on age and it says you should choose two more people. And even if, they're people you, even if you don't have seven people you truly trust, getting seven people to collude against you while you're alive is not a likely thing. It just doesn't, life doesn't work that way. So that multi-sig solves the problem of wealth disappearing because you forget. Now wealth will disappear because it's destroyed accidentally. That has already happened. A man with a, a huge cache of Bitcoins sold his computer. He, he was very early in on the craze. He got his Bitcoins at under a 10th of a penny a piece in 2009 and his computer ended up being at the bottom of a town dump years later and people are still searching for the computer because now there's a couple tens of millions of dollars on the computer. But if those coins are are lost, not even provably lost, just probably lost. The rest of the Bitcoin ecosystem will rise in value by an equivalent amount. So while it's not too good for, you know, Bob Poindexter or whatever poor guy lost that money, it doesn't affect the world's economy at all. The rest of the economy adjusts automatically and takes care of the slack.
0: So there is no way to recover those coins
1: if the computer is not farmed? The, actually, one of crypto, one of Krypsa's standards will be to provably have a serial number on coins. If you want to, where you can retire the serial number, but that's the standard I believe is least likely to be adopted because that implies that there will be a database or a ledger of tainted coins or withdrawn coins. In in practice, we're still going to define the standard and code it, but in theory and in philosophy. I'm actually against it. I'm against it because I don't want the government to be able to say, well, we believe a large drug deal was done in this country, or we believe the tax evasion was done here, so we'd like to withdraw those coins and reissue them as seized forfeiture to the government. I don't think Bitcoin should ever be subject to that. So that's probably, I I don't go around talking about that standard, and I don't believe it's going to ultimately take hold.
0: I understand. Now these digital currencies or cryptocurrency coins are encrypted I believe to keep them secure but there is a potential uh, you know, concern here that the coding identifies the currency itself but not its owner. So whoever holds the encryption code becomes the owner. And there is nothing in the coding that would say it belongs to any
1: individual A, X, Y, Z, or... It's actually the wallet, not the coin, that is tied to a password. And you, at, at Coinbase, you have a choice the moment you create your account. I use Coinbase as an example because it's my bank, but this applies to many companies. Uh, the, most, uh, the other most legitimate one that I'm aware of is called Bitstamp. But anyway, uh, at Coinbase, you have a choice when you set up your account. Do you want to be in complete control of your keys? If you are, you have a piece of open source provable code on your computer. Provable. You can actually, I mean, there are groups of people who try to to verify that it's not, they're not lying. And you're, those keys are encrypted from your computer all the way up to their system. So they can't even break in and, and use your coins in your, on your behalf. They can't help you. If you lose your keys, it's over. Now, of course... You have to make sure your keys are backed up, your your multi-sig wallet is in effect so that you have friends who can restore your key and all these things. Again, that sounds complicated, but it won't be when it becomes ubiquitous. If you have cash, if you have $5,000 in cash lying around your house and you lose it because it fell out of your pocket under your car as you were driving through a swamp, there's no way to recover that cash. Even if you really did record the serial numbers, no one uses the serial numbers on cash except if the Secret Service believes that someone's counterfeiting. That's the only time that serial numbers come into play on bills, if someone believes there's a counterfeiter. If you have a $100 US bill, and you go to Marrakesh and buy a cigar in a cigar store, and you don't want anyone in your family knowing about that when you get back, there is unless there's a camera in that store and an internet connection, there's no record. No one can trace that. Bitcoin, you can trace things, but you can't restore. If you, if you lose the keys, you can't uncover and find your coins again. But think of how much easier it is to back it up. If I have $5,000 in cash in my house, I can't photocopy it and keep a copy of it in, in a safe. It's worthless to photocopy. But with Bitcoin, you can copy your wallet and you can encrypt it and put it on your Amazon Cloud Drive or your, your, your uh, Apple Drive or your Google Drive. And it's there. If you believe that someone got into your wallet, if you believe you lost your phone, you don't know if someone got into your wallet, but you lost your cell phone and you had your cash in your cell phone wallet, as long as you go and shuffle your money in from one wallet to another, which takes two minutes, you just create a new wallet and then transfer it. As long as you move your money from one wallet to another before someone figures out on your cell phone how to break your fingerprint, get into your Bitcoin wallet, which they would need the password for that too. As long as you do that, you're safe. You've backed it up. So all this dire talk about what if you lose your keys, what if you lose your cash? I mean, come on, Bitcoin is far safer than cash because you can make a photocopy of it.
0: That's a fair point, but see, this is all about education and awareness, and there is not much information out about these uh, different procedures
1: or different standards or different ways of doing things.
0: No, there is a lot of panic. panic.
1: There isn't much education out there now, and I would argue that if it were out there right now, it would scare people even more, because the proper procedures for protecting your wallet are are not for a layperson. They're complex, and they are frightening. But these are what are being taken care of, They're not not by me, not by CRIPSA, and not by, by Gavin Anderson. They're being taken care of by the large number of people involved in creating wallets and in advising banks and helping banks roll out their first loans and and savings accounts and all these other things. I mean, I've seen I've seen uh, Australia, New Zealand's preparations for posters for the lobby of their banks. They're preparing for a rollout that will be beautiful. It will make it as easy to understand as the birthday savings club for your child. It will it will all start to fall in place as the tools and as the as the ethos develops. The ecosystem, I should say, develops.
0: That, that's uh, that's a good point. Now there is another uh, you know very big growing concern is that virtual or these cryptocurrencies I mean we have seen many high profile failures over the years and uh, uh, it, the, it's, the controversy is not just about the cryptocurrency failure but it's also about the marketplaces and the malwares especially that are growing in numbers now that could steal bitcoins. And there are there are some you know examples that are coming that you know there are marvels that have uh, started stealing bitcoins and that is a cause of great concern. So how how do we? protect against those malwares mal- 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 because this again becomes a cyber security concern.
1: Yes, and cyber security <mayan> malware can can enter your password through key, keystroke events and figure out the password to your Bank of America account just as easily. There's nothing unique about stealing your Bitcoin password over stealing your Merrill Lynch or your Fidelity investment password. This is not a un- I-, I don't know how to answer your question. But it's not unique you need to be vigilant you need to be careful and you need to not do anything uh, that you wouldn't do with the advice of your local child or geek when it comes to is my computer protected you have to understand if your wi-fi is secure and if you have https on the screen it's the same warnings for online banking that it would be for using your your bank your traditional bank account
0: now, now although cryptocurrency architecture is designed to be secure it is not Totally secure. There's nothing totally secure. So once stolen, these digital funds can be electronically laundered or it could be obscured from authorities and it could disappear into this whole new cryptocurrency electronic ecosystem uh, with their new owners. So how can those kind of challenges be prevented?
1: I, I haven't thought as much about it as you have, but I would agree with you that if Bitcoin is stolen, it's probably easier to launder. Than online banking money, it certainly is harder to launder than cash, though a lot of people accuse Bitcoin as being a, a new avenue for criminals, and they 're going to want to adopt it. Believe me, criminals deal it would prefer cash to any other any other coin or system, but at a distance, yes bitcoin bitcoin is cash at a distance, so whatever uh, lures and whatever risks cash is susceptible to. You could argue that Bitcoin's susceptible to it, but I would argue with you that once the ecosystem is fully in place, such that it's suitable for widespread adoption, it will be safer than other forms. Sure.
0: Now we we talked earlier uh, about the competition that there are thousands of you know different cryptocurrencies that are being uh, that are out there in the market, and uh, there is a huge competition and uh, entry into this marketplace is so easy because of the low cost of you know, whatever
1: is yeah, required. You could, you, could, you, right. can a, you could create a J Shri coin tomorrow and it would be based on the exact same formula as Bitcoin. But there's that issue of the two-sided market. You, you would have to convince uh, the, the, the 200 million nodes that are already trading Bitcoin to begin trading your family minted coin. And it's not, that, that's actually a, a major obstacle. Bitcoin has achieved popular recognition, and if it continues for another year, it will be like Coca-Cola and McDonald hamburgers. It will be very, very hard to unseat.
0: Yes, but the, should we allow that many, you know, different kind of uh, cryptocurrencies to be developed?
1: What do you mean? Should we? What do you mean? Should we allow? What do you propo- What's the alternative?
0: Uh, um, this is how a
1: marketplace uh, shifts itself out.
0: It is a marketplace, but we have. This is a. We are talking about a financial system, you know, economic system.
1: But the other, the ones that fail will fail. I mean, uh, when you say, should we allow, let's say that that Feathercoin or Litecoin briefly looks like it's going to rival Bitcoin. Fine. If some people want to trade in it and use it, and if you can get your local grocery store to accept it, that's great. Uh, Bitcoin has such a track record now, such, such, an, such an, an increasing clip of speed that there are people out there who aren't even developers. There are people out there who say, how can I make money on Bitcoin? I don't know anything about coding or math. Well, they found a very, very clever way to make money. They're going to their local retailers saying, does this grocery store accept uh, Visa, MasterCard? Oh, yes, we accept it. We accept Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. How would you like me to add a Bitcoin logo there? Why should I do that? I already have customers who have the other cards. Yes, I know. But if your customers use Bitcoin, instead of paying 3%, with the customer getting a 1.5% kickback in rewards or something, you actually pay nothing. Just pay me $300 once, one time, and I'll integrate it to your POS system. I'll give you the whole ability to, to accept it. I'll get you set up, and you'll be completely immune from fluctuations because during the, the 60 seconds that the customer's fidgeting with their phone or wallet, Coinbase will protect you from any fluctuations. So if you charge $4.16 for that head of lettuce, you will get $4.16. Nobody takes any of it, and I'll help you set it up with a one time fee. There's a lot of people doing that right now. Some of them want a one-time fee. Some of them want a half a percent forever. Still better than a credit card. And the store realizes, why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I? Instead of 3% to to American Express, I'm getting completely all the money. It's better than anything I've ever seen. So do you think they're doing that for Feathercoin, Litecoin, and Dogecoin? That's a rhetorical question. I'll answer that. A few of those consultants, because I do this for my local stores, a few of those consultants will walk in saying, I have a package that will accept 200 different coins. Well, that's fine that they do that. But nobody's going to come into that store with anything other than Bitcoin saying, can I pay with cryptocurrency? It's not that I believe Bitcoin has done something better than the other coins. I want to emphasize that. They did it first. I mean, Bitcoin and the blockchain were simultaneously proposed by Satoshi. So they did it first. And they did it good enough. Now, you can always point to Betamax versus VHS, famous war in which the better technology lost. But in this case, it's not two proprietary companies fighting. It's one company that's allowed to steal from every other company in the world. And again, I use the word steal lightly. They're not stealing. They're all saying it's open source, take whatever you want. If they didn't say that, nobody would use it. Yes. So Bitcoin is free to to accelerate even further ahead. So I don't think they are they going to lose? Personally I don't think so. But are, are they are they at least going to stay ahead of all the other altcoins? Absolutely.
0: Now this reports that Bitcoin has, it is beginning to be backed by Google. We have so many
1: different initiatives and projects that are going on all across I mean, nations. Do you know Shri that do you know that Apple at first uh, banned? any bitcoin related purchases from their store and now in the iphone 7 there is a bitcoin wallet they've completely come full circle yes but do you think that this uh, gold-backed
0: digital currency this bitcoin it would bring stability to this industry and allow gonna, new types of derivatives to be designed and traded
1: i'm going to have to catch up on it i did see the presentation that you posted i don't quite understand it yet so i'm going to have to delay my answer to that question because I don't understand why anyone would want gold to back Bitcoin. Gold is another supply-demand commodity. In essence, it's a competitor to Bitcoin, a, a one with a much longer history, one that's you know, associated with kings and queens and ancient Egypt and used all over the world and respected and used for weddings and love. And I get it. But gold is, is simply another commodity. Bitcoin is a commodity. Gold is a commodity. I don't see a reason for gold to back Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't be manufactured. Gold can be manufactured. Only about half of the gold in the world has been discovered. So in, in essence, gold can be manufactured, but I see gold as inherently less fair. Certain countries like South Africa and, and the West Coast of America have veins of gold. Other countries don't have veins of gold. Why make it unfair? Why, why leave it to the vagaries of whether a major vein has not yet been discovered? Why not? And, and gold has industrial uses. Why steal from those industrial uses for dental implants and electrical and outer space and all that? Why not just have something that's pure, pure supply and demand? Nobody can create it. No, well, you, you can find it, but you can't create it. Nobody can destroy it. it it's person to person. It, 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 it's so pure in economics that it's beautiful. Again, I am a little bit of a libertarian, but it's so pure that it's beautiful.
0: Yes, no, I understand your point now, but there, again, we, I'm going back to that open source code and you know, this ability that anyone can create cryptocurrency, that is at the center of a lot of you know, fear because in theory anyone can create a cryptocurrency because it's based on open source and anyone can copy that open source so there are a lot of people that are uh, fearful that this could become a penny stock because there is uh,
1: so much uh, competition in the anyone can create a transaction instrument based on bitcoin what makes it a currency is not that you copied bitcoin code what makes it a currency is that the world respects it so uh, if I'm going to use a, uh, an analogy to the extreme, uh, the Parker Brothers Game Company has created a currency called Monopoly money. If you buy Monopoly, you get a bunch of green, blue, yellow, gold currencies. That's currency. Why is it not respected? Why can't it be, it's not respected because you can't pay your taxes on in it. You can't even buy your your meat or cigarettes or milk in it. It's not currency. It's just play money. Those other coins. I'm not saying they're all play money. They may play a role in private in-band transactions. That's what the SWIFT system is doing. They're going to use a Bitcoin type of currency to, to affect payments where they understand where the total, where the, where the total corpus is, who has it and how much is being divid- divided between banks. That makes sense. It's a way of keeping records between banks. It's like passing around an ownership chip to each one of the banks saying, you can now trade these beans. But, as far as something ubiquitous that everyone uses and everyone values, you can't create that. You can create a Jay Shree coin, and I can create a Phil coin, but that doesn't mean that anyone's going to want it. It's all – and, I, you know, I, I bristle a little bit at your question, should we permit this? I don't know what, what, what culture or background would cause you to say, should we permit this? But we don't have the ability to, you know, we, we, you and I are both from democratic countries. We don't have a way of controlling these things.
0: <laughs> there is no way of controlling. I agree with you, but there also, uh, it, there are a lot of risks that comes out of this. I mean, anyone can create this cryptocurrency, and anyone can start uh, doing the transaction using this cryptocurrency, and. People you could fall for this, you know, different kinds of cryptocurrencies because if there is, we are talking about so many different nations and so many different regions where everyone has faith in different things. So if let's say, you know, in a country that is uh, somewhere in Africa or somewhere in the Middle East, someone creates a cryptocurrency and they say, okay, you all use this. Now the whatever has been developed, is not very secure or it's not something that could be called a cryptocurrency and there are inherent lot of risk with that but the people have started you know believing in that they, they have started doing transactions in
1: that and after many years they I, I don't think people will look look at all the look at all the obstacles that Bitcoin has look at all the skeptical doubters that Bitcoin has six years after its creation seven years. I don't think that people, in, even in Nigeria or, or in Zimbabwe, are going to use a cryptocurrency that doesn't have an overwhelming number of mathematicians and crypt- cryptographers behind it that have verified it, validated it, and said, this looks pretty uncounterfeitable and I can't figure out how to how to copy it. I, I think that do people aren't dummies they, in the internet. Age.
0: In every nation, do you think that level of awareness or education or information is there, you know, based on which the users, my concern is more about the users, not
1: no, the ones who are creating. The and awareness isn't there, but grandma's not going to start using it if the geeky grandson in the university doesn't tell her it's safe. I mean, especially if the geeky grandson in the university says, this is not safe, I wouldn't touch it. I mean, there are fads and there are like the, you know, the, the famous 16th century Danish tulip bulb crisis where everyone started using this as currency. But that wasn't because someone came out with it and said it was safe. It, it was a fad for other reasons and, and it wasn't even a controlled supply and it was perishable. But Bitcoin, uh, other currencies, I mean, Monopoly has done it. They've printed their currency for over a hundred years right now. I don't see it as a risk that someone's gonna start trading and saying, this is Parker Brothers Game Company, I'm going to use this. And don't forget, at the end of the day, Every government has the ability to say, you have to pay your taxes in this form of currency. This is what's legal tender. So they, uh, I believe someday they're going to say Bitcoin is legal tender. But even if they don't, you still have to convert your money back to dollars or rupias or, or one renminbi, or yen at the end of the day to pay your taxes because the people with the guns are telling you that you have to pay the taxes. So I don't think people are going to use a form of currency that isn't readily exchangeable with what they have to do at the end of the day.
0: Fair enough, I understand that. Now, let's talk about this. Uh, your initiative, the cryptocurrency the cryptocurrency standard that you are developing. How would you define the standards? What is a cryptocurrency security standard?
1: Well, I, I think that standards is, is uh, I, I think my partner would kill me if I said this, but it's a loose term. We're trying to develop a system of voluntary overlays that allow two parties to know at the staging point, just when a, when a transaction is about to take place, it allows two parties to know to disclose certain things to each other provably. Not just to say, I've had this wallet for six months. I have this much money in the wallet. Uh, I'm the same person who paid for this four months ago. They did, it's not just that they can say these things. It's that if they choose to, they can provably disclose these things, including what it is you're paying for. So that that person paying for the University of Massachusetts Amherst tuition can say, I not only paid for Cindy Lucan, I paid for these courses, including this master's course in Bitcoin engineering. So you should know better than to tell me I didn't pay the bill. So <laughs> I don't know if she was studying Bitcoin, but um what we're, what we're developing is a series of protections, safeguards, and recourses. And we're not really developing the recourses. Traditional banks or whoever wants to step in and, and prove that they have the ability to back the recourse will step in. The underwriting, let's call it the underwriter or the insurer agent. But we're creating the technology that allows you to put that on top of Bitcoin. And we're not the first to do that. Bitcoin actually has a few, uh, in, in the internet industry, it's called RFCs, but a few a few um standards that standards is the wrong word there are a few proposals for how to exchange this type of information we're trying to improve upon them and more importantly we're trying to get them embedded in wallets quickly so that people who are afraid to use bitcoin can begin playing with it for more uh legitimate commercial transactions
0: so what is the scope of the cryptocurrency standards that you're developing? Are your efforts going to be local, that means that it means for our nation, or you're planning to uh, create this standard so that it could be used by the global you know, community, global cryptocurrency?
1: By the global. Anyone who does a bitcoin transaction needs a wallet. Some of the wallets support multiple coins, some support bitcoin. If you go to bitcoin.org and you click on wallets. There's a list of 14 to 17 wallets. It's always changing, but recognized wallets. I don't know what it takes to get into that list, but any of the ones most people have heard of are there. You can sort. You can say which ones run on Android, which run on iPhone, which are for desktop platforms, which are cloud-based like Coinbase. And you can choose a wallet that meets your needs as far as what platform it runs on. And then it also rates them. Does it support uh, where where the user stores the keys and no one else stores the keys, or does it not? Does it support multi-sig, which is still pretty rare, or does it not support multi-sig? Is it completely open source with absolutely no fee and only a donate button, nothing else? Or is it partly proprietary? And you can make your choice based on these things. We're talking to the developers of each of those wallets. That's our target right now, the ones listed at bitcoin.org. I don't know if it's political how you get in there, but they're all the major wallets. We're going to that screen and we're contacting each of them. Uh, my favorite wallet is, is, is the one that has the orange B that's tilted. The first one to use that is the, it, it's called Bitcoin Wallet by Andreas Schilbach, which is a different Andreas than the famous one in the Bitcoin industry. But he's a German developer, came out with a fabulous wallet that's the leading wallet on the Android. And we're trying to get each developer like that to commit, Will you test it? Will you embed it in your your system? Will you begin using it? And at the moment, we haven't figured out how our organization is going to uh, sustain itself, how it's going to make money, how it's going. But we're not charging for this. We want the standards to be just like Bitcoin. Nobody has to pay a fee and the wallets will get better.
0: So your fo- your initiative focuses more on the wallets, or is it also focusing on the technology of the cryptocurrency or the processes that needs to be there
1: uh, overall to… We're not, we're not at all involved in the technology of the cryptocurrency. I've never had high-level talks with anyone at the core development team. Um, we're, we're focusing on the technology of adding protection layers to Bitcoin. And… Um, uh, what was the other half of your question i want there was something else i was going to the
0: overall ecosystem i think that because there are many processes also involved right what kind of hardware what kind of software what kind of uh, blockchain technology what which blockchain you know chain that uh, needs to be used because there are so many different chains as we talk right so the
1: so the focus is in answer to your question is the focus on the wallet that's not the focus But I personally believe that if you can introduce it in the way that you can hold in your hand and see what it's doing and see the value it's contributing to you at that very second, then the wallet will be what bubbles it back down into people saying, okay, we accept these these blockchain, these things you're putting in the blockchain, we accept that you can make them public and a standard so that everyone can understand it. And now you can even trace whether that transaction was for these items purchased. So we're trying to bubble change to the blockchain through popular adoption because of the wallet companies. If you get seven of the 14 to 17 wallet companies to adopt a single thing, I believe it will be like getting, I I can't come up with an analogy. It will will bubble through to the rest. They'll see themselves as losing market share because they don't support something. So that's the goal.
0: All these wallet companies, they are all working in, uh, think with the standards, they're all following the standards?
1: Well they're not following they're not all following us we're going to them right now and begging them to incorporate these these lights on the side of the wallet and it's it's like the television and the broadcaster a lot of people are saying why should i why should i give my users that tv screen why should i even bother giving them that tv screen when there's no such thing as a broadcaster anywhere on earth but eventually you start you give it to them for free so that they can put it in just like uh, like Adobe gave AOL the PDF reader for free to put on all those disks they shipped around the world. And then eventually you go to the content creators and you say, encode your document this way because everyone now has an Adobe reader. We're, we're trying to break the chicken and egg cycle by incorporating our own proposed standards as a maverick. We're not even going through the proper channels. We're not even going to Bitcoin Core to develop these standards. We're going straight to the wallet company so that the people have the, have the feature in their hands once it's in their hands and once they're, they're aware of the fact that we're not trying to charge for it, we, we, we hope and we believe that we can get it to be a standard.
0: Yes. Now you have been actively working in this field. What are some of the big concerns you have?
1: I think you touched on one of the big ones, which is fear, adoption and, and government um, uh, uh, the perception. I think those are my three biggest fears. Uh, public fear, government perception and adoption. I think that legislation against cryptocurrency or to thwart it would be one of the most foolish things any government could ever do. I think that Bitcoin is an enormous opportunity for governments rather than a threat. And I think that more than half the governments in the world disagree with my position. They believe Bitcoin is a threat unless it's tightly controlled and non-permissionless. You see a lot of governments proposing cryptocurrency Uh, I I haven't looked into it recently. My data is two or three years old now, but Ethiopia to Israel. You see both developed nations and modern nations, Greece. You see company, and and they each have a good reason. I mean, with the problems going on in Greece, I I can sort of get the reason. Zimbabwe with the $100 trillion notes that they have floating around, they actually have a a note that's $100 trillion. You can buy it for a dollar on eBay. It's the real money of Zimbabwe. That's how much rampant inflation they've had. I see the reasons to develop cryptocurrency, but I don't see the reasons to come out with their own. It makes no sense at all to me. And when they come out with it, even if they follow all the rules and do it properly and have all the safeguards, these countries are not doing it in a permissionless way. They're doing it in a, in a way that's not permissionless. It's not, the, the blockchain is validated by them. It's not validated by the, the world themselves, with them having no more vote as the rest of the world. You remove, those, you remove those features and you remove the major advantages of Bitcoin. So I think that when countries realize that true permissionless currency that is not under their control is an enormous operating advantage for the governors of a country, when, when countries start to realize that, I think we'll be in very good space.
0: Good, so thank you, Philip, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on cryptocurrencies and more importantly for you, and your organization's effort for developing cryptocurrency standards. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the state of cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin. And even if a single individual or entity can understand the complex challenges facing the cryptocurrencies and come up with ideas to prepare themselves based on the understanding they received from this discussion we had today, this risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that.
1: I appreciate the chance to tell our story. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Uh,
0: There is a growing excitement that cryptocurrency marks the beginning of a new era, especially Bitcoin. There is a lot of promise in that. However, the future of digital currencies remains a controversial topic as its very foundation and security have become a cause of great concern and security. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA and CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space, and discuss, debate, and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also of the coming technological superconvergence. We at Risk group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two, all three concepts feeding to each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the Risk Roundup, to watch the Risk Roundup videos or to hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupalicy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.